2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is God's word. Amen. Please take your seats. And let me pray for us as we study this passage. God, please open our eyes this morning that we may behold wondrous things out of your word. Please speak through your word and give us open hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. I read an interesting article online this week in The Atlantic with the title, How to Remember Everything. It's a pretty interesting title, isn't it? How to Remember Everything. My interest was piqued, and it describes these memory athletes, as they call them, who compete in memory championships both here nationally and worldwide. I didn't even know such a thing existed, but apparently it does. These memory athletes can accomplish these amazing feats of memory. Here, here are a few examples. One woman was able to memorize a 50-line poem in just 15 minutes, word for word. Or another man who memorized the order of an entire deck of cards, 52 cards in just 19 seconds. I'm not sure I could flip through a whole uh, deck of cards in 19 seconds, but somehow he could remember the entire order. Somehow these people are able to remember incredibly complex pieces of information in very small amounts of time. But what's crazier than that, though, is apparently these memory athletes insist that their abilities are not just simply natural gifts that they have that other people don't, but rather things that they learned, a skill that they grew in. They believe that, quote-unquote, ordinary people can learn how to do the very same kind of things. I'm not sure they met me and talked to me before this, because if they had, they probably would have changed their tune. But apparently the trick to this kind of super memory seems to be learning how to connect an abstract concept or a thought or piece of information with something else, something more tangible, something more grounded, maybe connecting a thought or an idea with a place, or assigning a standardized sound to a specific number. Any sort of strategy that that forces your mind to engage in multiple different ways. And when you have this kind of holistic memory strategy, you're able to memorize everything, at least much more easily. But why is becoming better at remembering so important? Well, I think part of it is that we live in an age of forgetfulness. If we can't remember something, all you have to do is pull out our iPhones and check Google or Wikipedia and we can get the information we need. We don't often feel like we have to remember much. 
But what about the times when it's not just a fact you need to know, but it's a truth you need to know? What about the times when you begin to face hardships on account of your faithfulness to Jesus? When, when you're looked down on, when you're thought poorly of, when you're denied an opportunity for success, all because of your faithful following of Jesus, you need more than just facts and information. You need the truth. I suppose you could search Google for some advice on how to endure those difficult times, but I think you might agree with me that you need something deeper. You need a deeper truth to lay claim to in those difficult times. And it's in those times that we need to remember the truth about who God is and about what he has done for us. This summer, we've been studying through the book of 2 Timothy, if you've been with us over the course of this summer. And Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor. He wanted to leave Timothy with a last bit of wisdom, a final exhortation about how to endure in the work that he was doing. Timothy's work would no doubt lead him to great heights and to deep depths, even to the point of suffering for the sake of his work as a pastor. And Paul knew this well. I mean, he was writing this letter from prison. He was there in prison because of his refusal to stop preaching the gospel. He would not stop. And this, this is reflected throughout the opening chapter of the letter. Chapter 1, verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Again, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, Paul exhorts Timothy to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. To share in suffering. Suffering for the sake of Jesus is just part of what Timothy must embrace as he goes about his work. And Paul uses these three illustrations to describe this endurance that Timothy ought to have. The, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer are these examples of dedication, commitment, and endurance. The things that are required of Timothy and all of us who seek to follow Jesus faithfully. Just like this soldier, athlete, and farmer, just like they persevere despite the hardships that come because of their faithfulness to Jesus, so too Timothy and us as well, we ought to endure when the going gets tough. But how should Timothy do this? How should we do this? What strategy should we use? And our passage this morning shows us how to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. The key is to remember. Remembrance of the work of God, of his faithfulness. Remembrance is a key theme throughout the Bible. Sometimes when we hear the word remember, we simply think of bringing information to the forefront of our minds, recalling the facts or details of a past person, relationship, or event, or pulling the details of an event or contract out of our minds, kind of opening the drawers of the file cabinet in our brain and bringing the information to the forefront of our minds. When we hear the word remember, we tend to think of purely restoring information to the forefront of our thoughts, to remember it. But when the Bible talks about remembering something, the Bible is speaking of something different. It's talking about a much deeper kind of thing. It's a much more comprehensive, a much more holistic experience. To remember something biblically 
is to recall something from the past in order to integrate it into the way you live and into the way you believe. This is what the Bible talks about in remembrance. It goes beyond simply thinking about something to actually living in a certain way. So when we hear that we must remember, we should be ready not just to think, but to live. So how can we endure the hardships that come from being faithful to Jesus? We must remember. And our passage outlines three different things that we must remember. A person a purpose, and a promise. We need to remember the person and work of Jesus Christ. We need to remember the purpose of our endurance. is not simply to get through it, but it's for the sake of those who have yet to come to faith in Jesus. And we need to remember the promise that God is always faithful to his own. Remember the person, remember the purpose, remember the promise. First, remember the purpose. Paul exhorted Timothy in chapter 2, verse 3, to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, in verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. The first thing we must do to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel is to remember. Remember the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the main theme of the gospel that Paul preached again and again, over and over. He didn't preach a gospel that was simply convenient for his time or place. He didn't preach a gospel that just sounded good in the moment but lacked the power to actually change anything. No, Paul preached the good news about Jesus Christ, that he died but that he rose again from the dead on the third day. This is no weak, powerless gospel. This is the kind of earth-shattering reality that has the power to change people, to bring the dead to life. Since Jesus was raised from death itself, death no longer has dominion over him. And if Jesus has already defeated death by being raised to life, then Timothy doesn't have to fear death, and neither do you or I. We do not need to fear the consequences of hardships that come from being faithful to the gospel. Even the last enemy, even death has been defeated. What an encouragement it is to remember this truth. No matter what happens to God's people, their place with Jesus is always secure. Jesus was risen from the dead and also descended from David. He was the promised Messiah. Jesus wasn't just an ordinary historical figure or some blip on the radar or God's plan B. No, he was the promised Messiah. He was the the one that his people longed for for years and years and generations and generations. They looked forward to this Messiah coming to save them from their sins. And so when we remember Jesus, we don't simply remember the 33 years that he lived here on earth, but the whole of redemptive history and how it finds its climax, its pinnacle in Jesus. God had a plan to redeem his people to himself. He had been at work to draw his own to himself ever since sin first came into the world. He is Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. This is the gospel that we must remember This is the gospel that has the power not just to shape our thoughts, but our lives and our beliefs. This is the gospel that Paul preaches. It's the good news. The good news that sinners can be saved through Jesus Christ. 
You and I are saved through Jesus alone. This is the good deposit that must be guarded. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we remember Jesus Christ in this way. We eat the bread to remember his body that was broken for us. We drink the cup to remember his blood that was shed for us. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He knew that we would need a tangible reminder of his sacrifice for us. And he gave us this sign so we could remember his redemptive work on our behalf. And this is a remembrance that goes far just beyond thinking about Jesus and knowing about him. This is a remembrance that shapes our beliefs and our actions. This is why we have the chance during the Lord's Supper to ask the Spirit to search our hearts and to confess our sins and ask for forgiveness of them before the Lord. This act of remembrance leads us into repentance. It shapes us. It molds us. It teaches us how to live. It actually transforms our lives. This is remembering Jesus Christ. We remember him on the cross and it shapes the way we think, the way we believe, the way we act. Coming to church is another important way we remember Jesus. Maybe you even participate in a small group or attend a midweek church program. These are really important ways to remember Jesus. But we also need to make sure that we remember Jesus not just when we come to church, but at all times. And especially when the going gets tough. If we're honest with ourselves, we very easily forget about Jesus when things get hard, don't we? When suffering comes, it clouds our vision. We stop thinking about how to be self-sacrificing and we start thinking about how to be self-serving. It's as if we're in our house, instead of looking through windows that are normally clear, we're looking back at mirrors that reflect ourselves straight back at us. All we can see in those times are our immediate circumstances, our current state, the present suffering that, that we're facing, and it's in those times we need to be very careful and very purposeful about remembering the person of Jesus Christ. When we remember Jesus in those times, we can't help but see our hardships and light of the hardships that Jesus suffered on our behalf. In the times when you're up against the wall in your work of discipleship, your work of evangelism, teaching, ministry work, preach the gospel to yourself. Remember Jesus. Remind yourself of the basic truths of the gospel, that Jesus died, but that he was raised from the dead, that he indeed is the one God promised would save us from our sins. Maybe it's memorizing a few Bible verses and keeping them at the ready. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Galatians 2.20, John 3.16. Memorize these verses. Say them out loud to yourself in the most difficult moments. Pray through them when the going gets tough so that you remember what Jesus has done for you. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remember the person and work of Jesus Christ. We need to remember the person... And we also need to remember the purpose. Verses 9 and 10. I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. To endure the hardships that come from being faithful to the gospel, faithful to Jesus, We must remember that the purpose of our ministry efforts, the purpose of this faithfulness, the purpose of the suffering that we face is not so that we just get through it, but it's so that those who do not yet believe would come to faith in Jesus. 
we need to remember this purpose. Paul explains that he's suffering for the sake of the gospel. It's not as if, as if his suffering is purposeless or baseless. It has a very specific reason about it. He was in prison not just because he did a criminal act, but because he was preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not to say that Paul went out of his way to find suffering, but he knew that the road of suffering was the road that he must travel. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew that being appointed a teacher, a preacher, an apostle, and teacher was the reason that he suffered as he did. And the suffering was even to the point of being bound with chains as a criminal. Paul was willing to go to even these kind of lengths so that others would know Jesus, so that he could preach the gospel. Paul might have been bound up with chains, but the word of God is not bound. The chains that shackled Paul had no power to bind up the word of God. They have no strength to bind up the message of the gospel. It simply can't be done. The gospel message cannot be bound up. It cannot be chained down. It cannot be suppressed. Paul might not have been able to preach the gospel freely, but the word of God was still proclaimed. His suffering was no barrier, and he was willing to take on whatever came his way because of this firm belief that he had that his suffering was for a purpose. When Jim Elliott was 22 years old, he wrote a line in his journal that has now become famous. You can see it in a wonderful mural in the Lower Beamer Center at Wheaton College. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Even at that young age of 22 years old, Jim Elliott had the mindset of being willing to go to whatever lengths he were necessary in order to share the gospel with those who didn't know it. He ended up going to Ecuador as a missionary to the Warani people, a group known for their violence toward outside visitors. He was eventually killed as he labored along several others to share the gospel, along with Ed McCauley, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint. But their suffering did not bind up the word of God, did it? Perhaps you you know the the end of the story that, in fact, it opened the door for salvation for the very people that had killed them. Elizabeth Elliot, who was Jim Elliot's wife, and Rachel Saint, who was Nate Saint's sister, went back to those very people who had killed their loved ones and shared the gospel with them, and they believed. These people's hardship, their suffering, their endurance of all things had achieved its purpose. We need to have this very same kind of attitude about enduring the hardships that come from being faithful to Jesus. It's an attitude that is willing to endure whatever comes. Even if you're not currently experiencing much suffering because of your faith, you can still have a mindset that is willing to take it on if it comes. And here in Wheaton, we're not necessarily being thrown in jail or having our lives threatened because we hold firm to the gospel and because we might share it with others. But what is most important is not simply that you experience suffering, but that you're willing to endure it when it comes. We ought to have the same attitude as Paul, the same mindset as Jim Elliott and those other missionaries. We must be willing to take on whatever consequences come from proclaiming and holding fast to the gospel no matter what. Maybe it means you'll lose out on a promotion. Or maybe it means you'll have to endure ridicule from your friends and neighbors when you explain why church is a priority over your children's sports or other activities. 
Or maybe you'll have to live on less because you're committed to giving sacrificially to ministry efforts both here at the church and around the world. Perhaps it's even though, perhaps it's even in those times of hardship that the gospel will flow out of us all the more powerfully. So friends, let's not shy away from taking on suffering. Let's not shy away from experiencing it. Let's have an attitude that's willing to take on whatever comes our way, whether good or bad. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Perhaps the most incredible part of what Paul says here is not simply that he's willing to endure suffering, but it's the reason, it's the purpose of why he's willing to do it. Paul doesn't endure simply because he thinks he's supposed to or because of some abstract theological concept. No, he endures everything that comes for the sake of the elect. His love for others trumps everything else. It's not about him, it's about them. It's for the sake of those who have yet to believe And Paul's willing to endure whatever suffering comes from preaching the gospel because he desperately wants people to hear and know the good news about Jesus Christ. He wants them to experience the same salvation and hope that he had found. Perhaps you know some of Paul's story. Before Paul was a Christian, he was a very pious man. He was a Pharisee, who was, which was an elite group of Jewish leaders that followed the rules and regulations of the Jewish religion to a T. And he was confident that the way he could earn God's favor, that he could relate to God, that he could find salvation, was following the rules and regulations of the law. In fact, he was such a good and religious man that he tra- was traveling to a city, Damascus, to arrest Christians. These people claimed that they could only be saved by Jesus Christ and trusting in his death and resurrection. And and in Paul's mind, they had to be stopped. But on the way to Damascus, a bright light shone all around them. It blinded him and threw him to the ground. And a voice roared from heaven, Why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Paul was converted through that experience and became a Christian himself. He reflects on this change in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith. In Christ. Paul ended up enduring everything from mockery to stoning to beatings to shipwreck, all in the name of proclaiming the good news of salvation, the salvation that he now had through Jesus Christ. He experienced a life transformation on the road to Damascus. And from that moment on, his life was changed. His trajectory was completely altered. There was a 180-degree turn, a 180-degree shift. He went from hating Christians to loving them. He went from trusting his own efforts for salvation to trusting in Christ alone. He went from persecuting Christ to being persecuted for Christ. He had obtained the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, and it changed everything a complete and total transformation. This was his motivation. He had been saved by the power of gospel and he wanted 
others to experience the exact same salvation. This was his purpose. Have you been transformed by the power of the gospel? Have you obtained the salvation that is in Christ Jesus? Do you look forward to a hope of eternal glory? Then do whatever it takes to share that good news with others. Follow the example of Paul and remember the purpose behind your efforts of discipleship, the purpose behind your work of evangelism and endure everything that comes your way for the sake of those people who have yet to believe. Maybe it means risking rejection from a friend because you opened the door to a spiritual conversation. Maybe it means starting a Bible exploration group at your office and risking the distrust of your boss or coworkers. Maybe it means getting in the trenches and doing the hard work of trying to share the gospel with a family member who has walked away from the faith. These things are all difficult, and they, they will cost you something. But isn't that all worth it, that they might hear and know and believe in Jesus? Who are the people in your life that desperately need to hear and believe the gospel? Is it a friend, a family member, a coworker? A neighbor? When we remember the purpose behind our work, our work of discipleship, evangelism, ministry, we can take on everything that comes our way, whether good or bad. If we're going to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel, we need to remember the person of Jesus Christ and that the purpose of our ministry is that those who are not yet saved will come to faith in Jesus. And finally, the promise. Verses 11 to 13. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We need to remember this promise, that God will remain faithful to his people because of who he is. Remember the promise. Our passage concludes with a trustworthy saying. We have this trustworthy saying that encourages us about God's faithfulness to his people. You can see in your Bibles that these lines are are separated out into four lines like the poetry that you might see in the book of Psalms. These four lines were most likely part of a common song or hymn that, that Paul and Timothy would have known and others might have sung. And each of these four lines teaches us something about God's character. The first line says that if we have died with him, we will also live with him. And this, this isn't talking about literal bodily death, although Paul certainly encourages Timothy to be willing to go even to the point of death if need be. We saw that in verses 9 and 10, but, but here he has something different in mind. What Paul is getting at here is a spiritual unity with Christ in his death. If you're a Christian, you have become united with Christ in his death. Paul writes in Romans 6, 8 to 11. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
This is the spiritual state of the Christian. If we have put our complete hope and trust and faith in Christ alone, we have put to death our former way of living. We no longer live for sin, we live for Christ. And just as Jesus Christ rose from the dead and will never die again, we believe that if we have put our faith in Christ alone, we too are raised to spiritual life. This is a promise to remember. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. The second line of this trustworthy saying brings its connection with suffering for the sake of the gospel into sharp focus. We who have put our faith in Christ and endure to the end will not only live with Christ, we will reign with him. We must endure the, trouble that, the troubles that come with holding firm to the gospel. This means that we must remain steadfast, even if it means persecution. We must, stay behind, we, we must stay behind when others take the easier path. We must firmly hold to this gospel. But here's the good news of this promise, that our suffering does not have the final word. If we endure, if we hold firm to the end, we will reign with Christ. I'm reminded of what the the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. If we endure, we will also reign with him. This is another promise to remember. Because yes, we will experience difficulty in this life, but suffering does not have the final word. In fact, this is the pattern of the kingdom of God, that suffering precedes glory. So don't give up. Don't give in. The hardships and suffering that you are experiencing right now and that you may experience in the future, those sufferings that you experience on the account of Christ, they do not have the final word. In the Christian life, Suffering comes before glory. Dark comes before dawn. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So don't give up. Don't give in. Do not lose heart. Look to Jesus Christ and endure. Don't let the hardships that come with being faithful to Jesus keep you from enduring to the end. Because if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And now a warning. If we deny him, he also will deny us. This is a contrast to the promise that comes with our endurance. It's the warning that comes for, as a result if we deny Jesus. This is the exact opposite of enduring to the end. It's a denial to the very end. We can deny Jesus in many different ways. We can deny his name. We can give up faith in him completely. Or we can even deny him by saying one thing, but then denying him by our actions. And if we deny Jesus to the end, this saying is trustworthy that he also will deny us. This is a sobering reality. 
one that hits close to home, because if you're anything like me, you, you, you probably realize that you've denied Jesus. We've all denied him in some way or the other, and we ca- sometimes it's by casually shifting our conversations away from the gospel. We don't want anything to do with him. Sometimes we choose not to share Jesus with somebody, even though we're prompted to do so, or sometimes we say one thing publicly and then deny him privately, or even the other way around. We, we privately profess our devotion and love for Jesus, but then publicly we don't even seem to know who he is. We've all denied Jesus. It should be a sobering reality for us all. But this must be understood with the last line of the saying in mind. If we deny him, he also will deny us, but if we are faithless, He remains faithful. Even in the midst of our faithlessness, he remains faithful to us. He is a faithful God. He's the God that said about himself, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is a faithful God and he cannot deny himself. So even when we're faithless, when we lack faith, He remains the same constant faithful God that he is. A wonderful example of this reality in the Bible is the story of Peter. Jesus had been betrayed and arrested and brought into the high priest's house. And this is how Luke puts it then in his gospel. that Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too was a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He denied Jesus three times. He denied any relationship with Jesus, any knowledge of him, even any recognition of Jesus. He had denied his Lord. But that's not where the story ends, is it? After Jesus' death and resurrection, John records Jesus reinstating and forgiving Peter. Jesus remained faithful to Peter despite Peter's denial. Here's how John puts it. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He remembered that he had denied his Lord. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus forgave Peter and used him powerfully to build his church. 
The faithlessness of Peter was overcome by the faithfulness of his Savior. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel like Peter did. The guilt of sin, the shame of denial is weighing heavily on your shoulders. Perhaps you're weary from failing God again and again and again. Maybe you've denied Jesus time after time. If you're broken over your sin, this is the balm for your wounds. This is the peace for your anxiety. Put your hope in Jesus. He remains faithful to his own even when they are faithless. Repent of your unfaithfulness. Turn to Jesus and cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. He will forgive you. He will restore you. He always remains faithful even to sinners like you and like me. So friends, be encouraged. God remains faithful even when we are not. How do you endure in the work of the gospel? By remembering this promise that God is faithful to his own. We serve a God who has been faithful to us and who will continue to remain faithful. It's not our own strength that makes us endure. It's his faithfulness that will bring us through. And so let's remember that promise. So we've been looking at how to endure hardship that comes from being faithful to Jesus. And the way we endure these hardships is to remember. We remember the person, the purpose, and the promise. There is a person, Jesus Christ. He's risen from the dead. He's the promised Messiah. He's the one that God sent to save us from our sins. And because of this, because he rose from the dead, the power of suffering, even death, has been broken and we can be confident in the salvation that we have in him. There's also a purpose. There's a reason we endure the hardships that come our way because of our faithfulness to Jesus. It's not simply so that we get through them, but it's so that others might come to know Jesus as well. We can be willing to take on whatever comes because we know that there is a purpose behind our suffering. And finally, there's a promise that God is faithful to his own and he cannot deny himself. There is glory on the other side of this life for those who endure. Suffering does not have the final word. God's faithfulness does. So even when we are unfaithful to him, we remember his faithfulness to us. He cannot deny who he is, and he is a faithful God. So let's remember. Remember this person, this purpose, and this promise. And let's remember our God, that he is a God no matter what remains faithful to us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us, even when we are faithless. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope of eternal glory that we have, and we we are thankful for who you are. Please give us the strength to remember, to remember Jesus, to remember the glory that comes on the other side of our suffering and to remember your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.